Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I want to welcome you to the conclusion of our series entitled Red Letter Lessons. As we've been looking at the words of Jesus, which in many of our print Bibles are in red, uh, we have seen the Lord deal with a, a number of different uh, topics. So let me just do a quick uh, review and reminder of what we've covered over the past seven weeks and conclude uh, today. We began the series with a message entitled, Bitterness, a Barrier to Worship. That if we have broken relationships uh, with others, that the Lord challenges us to do all that we can do to bring healing to that relationship before we come uh, to worship him at the altar of the Lord. Uh, and then the second message was how to treat an enemy. What about those people who just decide they don't like you and uh, they're going to be your enemies? How do you treat them as a follower of Jesus Christ? And the Lord taught us uh, truth about that. And then Pastor Milt preached a great message, the master's words about money. So if you stayed home from church that week because somebody was preaching about money, uh, let me just encourage you to pull up the podcast. It's one of the best I've ever heard. Uh, his big idea that week was if you follow your heart, you'll find, no, if you follow your money, you'll find your heart. And a great message there. The next one, uh, we dealt with what the Lord taught uh, about a disease that I call plank eye. Uh, in other words, we're determined to find spots and specks in other people's eyes when we have a log in our own eye. And a powerful truth there from the Lord about that. We title that message, Right in the Eye. And then we uh, looked at the experience of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples on their last evening uh, together. And we said that the path to true greatness in the kingdom of God uh, was humility and servanthood. And the Lord Jesus, before he uh, gave the greatest act of servanthood in the history of the human race, uh, expressed servanthood by washing the dirty feet of the disciples. And then last week, uh, we looked at building on a solid foundation, building on the rock. And I showed you the picture of the devastation of a hurricane uh, to a Florida uh, beach town and how uh, the entire area was just wiped out except for one house that stood strong and firm uh, because the, the pillars of that house went way down below the sand into the bedrock uh, and we were able to see the Lord uh, comparing that to building your life and my life on a foundation of not just hearing the word of God, but putting it into practice in our daily lives following Christ as Savior. So today we're gonna to wrap up the series and I'm gonna deal with one of the most controversial and debated topics in evangelical doctrine. And that is the person and the role of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And so let me just outline a few of the areas of, of confusion and even debate among evangelical Christians 
about the Holy Spirit. There's confusion about the role of the Holy Spirit because if you look in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it seems that the primary way the Holy Spirit worked was to, from time to time, come upon the lives of believers in Jehovah God and for a specific time and purpose, work in them and through them, and he, then he would depart. It was kind of a... If, I can be this casual, kind of a come and go kind of of ministry, it seemed, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Uh, But in the New Testament, since the coming of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells the heart and life of the follower of Jesus. He comes and he stays. He never leaves. And so the role of the Holy Spirit is, is important for us to understand. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit have become points of disagreement and even contention among New Testament Christians, uh, especially those gifts that are called the sign gifts, uh, the gifts of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, and, and so on. And there are those who, who hold to a position called, here's a big theological term, are you ready? Cessationism. Uh, it's based on the word cease, and their belief is that at the end of the apostolic age, uh, and then finally when the, the entire volume or canon of scripture came together, that those gifts were no longer needed and that they disappeared from uh, Christianity. Cessationism, they're not around anymore. Uh, I do not hold to that position. I think that though those gifts had a unique role and prominence in the early church to establish Christianity in its infancy, that those gifts are still present today in the larger body of Christ, not used as often or in in the exact same way as in the early church, but but all the gifts, I believe, are still present. Present. And then probably the, the most controversial of, of all the sign gifts uh, is the gift of tongues. And there's a great deal of disagreement about what that means. And, and as I cite these other groups and their beliefs, please understand I am not disparaging them or criticizing them. Are you with me? But I, I'm simply pointing out Uh, These are people, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We love them, we respect them, but we hold a different understanding of Scripture on this this issue. Uh, Our friends in the United Pentecostal Church believe that uh, tongues is the proof of, uh, kind of the, the experiential badge of salvation. And they believe that if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not truly saved. And we don't, we don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. And then there are our friends in the Assembly of God and some non-denominational charismatic uh, circles that believe, no, it's not essential to salvation, but it is the proof of being filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, they believe, is evidenced singularly by speaking in tongues. We don't believe that's what Scripture teaches either. We believe that if you are filled with the Spirit, you will evidence by His power the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and and so forth. And so where tongues may be and still, I believe, are uh, being used in some uh, individuals' lives as Christians and in some corporate bodies, uh, but not every 
they are not the badge or the singular evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And when it comes to the, the issue of speaking in tongues, I'm just going to go with the Apostle Paul. Are you with me? I'm going to go with what he says. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Paul's saying that in his private worship of the Lord, that was a part of his experience uh, commonly. But, verse 19, but in a church meeting, by the way, that's what we're in right now. Are you with me? We are meeting together, corporate worship, church meeting. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Okay, here's what I know about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They are to build up the church. They are to strengthen the body of Christ. They are never to bring confusion and division. And so I believe there are churches who sincerely, according to the guidelines of Scripture, will have that as a part of their experience. It doesn't cause uh, confusion or create havoc. That's just a part of their uh, spiritual culture. But then there are other churches that if somebody stands up in the middle of the service and starts speaking in a, an unknown language, it would cause all kinds of confusion and division. And I think we're one of those churches because that's not a part of our background. And so whatever gift of the Spirit is given, it will always be given to a church not to divide it and confuse it, but to strengthen it, to strengthen it. So that's how I think those, those gifts of the Spirit work. But what about the red-letter words? What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Our series is red-letter lessons. We're going to go to the red-letter words of Jesus. We'll also look at what the Apostle Peter had to say as recorded by Luke and Acts. We'll also hear again from the Apostle Paul as we look at the ministry of of the Holy Spirit. So as we begin to unpack this, this is the one idea I want you to remember if you forget everything else. We call it around here the big idea for the message. Here it is for today. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God living in us. And if I can personalize it to you, if you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God living in us in you. You don't have to come to the church to find the Holy Spirit. Though we sense his presence when we worship, the Holy Spirit, if you are a born again, saved, Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is living in you. He is the presence of God in you. Uh, one of the questions that pastors and, and teachers kind of dread people asking. And I actually got this question asked of me uh, in Refuge Weekend by some, some young people, some, some young adults. They asked me this very question when I was about to preach on this. And, and the question is, can you explain the Trinity to me? Can, you know, it would be like if you're a high school science teacher or junior high science teacher and someone comes to you and says, can you explain quantum physics to me? 
I mean, the depth and the, the breadth of it is just so great that, that you don't know how. And someone may ask, okay, is the, Trinity, is the Trinity three? Yes. Well, I thought the Trinity was one. Yes. How is that possible? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And can I just tell you that there is no perfect explanation I can give you that will make you go, oh, thank you, Pastor. I understand that now. There, there is no explanation. In fact, we won't understand that and many other truths until we get home to be with the Lord. So there is no perfect explanation. But I'm going to give you my best shot. Are you ready? Here it is. The three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are separate and distinct from one another, yet with a unity that has no parallel in human existence. No parallel. Nothing to which we can fully compare it and understand, and it makes perfect sense. I've heard people try to say, well, uh, a man can be a father, he can be somebody's son, and somebody's friend. And I go, eh, that's, you're still one person. It's different aspects of a single person. That doesn't do it. I, I hear other people say, well, you take an object and it has height and it has width and it has depth. Well, that doesn't do it either because there are three dimensions of the same object. Uh, and I've heard some people talk chicken and the egg. I really don't get that one. But whatever kind of parallel you want to draw, it just doesn't fully do it. Why? Because we are describing the eternal, or we're attempting to, in human terms. So we just need to understand they are three. Jesus prayed to the Father, right? Jesus said, and we'll see it in the passage today, the Holy Spirit would come when he went back to heaven. They were distinct. And yet there was a unity and a harmony between them that has nothing with which to compare. And they were never divided. There was never separation with the one exception of the moment that Jesus hung on the cross and the moment in which his atoning work was completed and the sin of the world, your sin and mine, was put upon the Savior. And do you remember what Jesus said in that moment? He said, my God, my God, my Father, why have you what? Forsaken me because that was the only time at which that bond, that unity, that perfect harmony was broken when your sin and mine was put upon Jesus on the cross. At all other times before creation and into time immemorial, there is a complete unity and oneness in a way and to a degree that we have nothing to which to compare it. Somebody said, what about a couple that's been married for 70 years? No, that doesn't do it either. What about identical twins that look alike and think alike and talk alike? No, that doesn't do it either. There's a unity and harmony of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, separate and distinct from one another, yet 
with a unity that has no parallel in human existence. So this morning as we focus on the Holy Spirit, when did the Holy Spirit come to work in a deeper and broader and fuller way than he had in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant? When did that begin? So we want to see that in the red letter words of Jesus. So turn with me to John chapter 16 if you have your Bible. I'll be teaching as always from the New Living Translation because I love its accuracy and clarity. If you don't have a copy of the scripture with you, all of the verses will be on the screen for you. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 5, hear the words of Jesus. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. Jesus had told them, he's, he's going away, he's departing. Verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, I'll come back to that word, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The word translated there, advocate, is parakletos in the Greek. It's translated helper in some translations, but I like the translation advocate because the Holy Spirit is the one who advocates for us. He intercedes for us. He continually represents us before the Father. And Jesus said, I must leave so that he may come. Jesus said, I am going away to the one who sent me. Jesus was about to return to the Father in heaven from where he came. And he says to them, though they are confused and grieving, he said, it is best for you that I go away. Hey, I get why the disciples were struggling. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to spend those years with Jesus can you imagine what it would be like to have heard, listen, the, heard the voice of God through human vocal cords with your own human ears? Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear the voice of God spoken by the incarnate Son of God? Can you imagine what it would be like to walk with Jesus and they walked everywhere he went. Jesus walked all the time except when he rode the donkey for the triumphal entry. He and the disciples walked. They didn't ride in a chariot. They didn't have any modern transportation. They walked for miles and miles. Can you imagine how it would have been to walk and talk with Jesus? Can you imagine what it would have been like to have Jesus reach out and put his hand on your shoulder as he tries to impart comfort or truth to you, to be touched by the hand of God? I get why the disciples were struggling, and yet he said, it's best for you. It's best for you that I go away because one is coming. Verse 8, and when he comes... He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now this is important because the first step in being reconciled unto a holy God and a relationship restored that has been broken by our sin, the first step is coming to realize that we are sinners in need of grace. 
You cannot come to God in faith in Jesus unless you realize you're a sinner and you repent of your sin. And so it was absolutely necessary for the Spirit of God to come to convict the world of its sin. And when he said that, he doesn't mean globally all at one time. Like the whole world one day wakes up and everybody realizes they're a sinner. No, this happens one person at a time. For every person who has come to faith in Christ, there was a point in which he, he put in your mind that reality that you're a sinner and you are in danger of eternal separation from God. And so what sin is it? I mean, there's all kinds of sin, and we're guilty of a lot of them, right? There's all kinds of sin. But what sin is it that will actually cause us to be in danger of the judgment of God. Jesus says in verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. I mean, do you hear some people say, well, I did such and such, I guess I'm going to go to hell. You know, as if there are certain sins that are triggers to eternal damnation. Well, listen, there is only one sin and Jesus said, it's that people refuse to believe in me. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, and maybe you even have in the back of your mind that you've done too much, you've gone too far, you've strayed too greatly to, to ever have God accept you, then I want to tell you, there is no sin that you have ever committed or could commit that God cannot forgive and cleanse you from except one. There's just one. It's for those people who hear about the grace of God and they understand what Christ has done for them and what it is that's being offered to them and they go, hey, hey, I get it, I understand, yeah, the cross, Jesus paid for my sin, it's not about earning it, it's grace, it's a free gift, I, I, I get all that, I know new life in Christ, I understand, uh, but I don't think so. That's nah, not for me. I'm good. That is the one sin that will eternally separate someone from God. But if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower and you're kind of sensing that, that awareness that, hey, maybe I need to listen to this. Maybe I need to consider this. Maybe this is something I need. Maybe that's what's, what's wrong within me. Maybe that's that hole in my heart that I can't fill with any, anything else. If, if you're feeling that sense, if you're feeling that draw, that's the Holy Spirit. He is, he is convicting you of your sin and your need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for grace. And then Jesus goes on to outline very clearly the two polar opposite choices that a person has righteousness through Jesus or judgment by choosing the punishment for sin here's what he says verse 10 righteousness is available because I go to the father and you will see me no more Jesus is saying I paid for your sin on the cross the work is done now it's up to you verse 10 
Verse 11, judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Here's the reality. There's a lot of evil in this world. Do you agree with that? Evil is all around us. Just watch the news. You can't miss it. And the Bible speaks of the the one who is the source of evil as being a person. The Bible identifies him as Satan, and he's real. He's not a flesh and blood kind of person. He is a spirit that goes around creating misery and havoc and doing his evil work with with millions upon millions of of demonic assistants, and he is at war against the Father, and he thinks he's going to win. But here's the thing. We know how this war ends. We know who emerges victorious. We know that the devil may think he's in the running to, to come out on top, but he's a dead devil walking. He will not be victorious. Jesus Christ will return someday and throw him in the lake of fire, and it will be over for him, and the Lord Jesus will reign forever and ever. And that's your choice. And if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, our, our plea to you is choose Jesus. Choose grace. Choose restoration. Choose forgiveness. Choose mercy. Choose love. Choose the presence of God in your life. And if you want to talk more about that, come by the hospitality room after the service. We'll be glad to talk to you. Jesus goes on to say to the disciples, verse 12, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. They weren't ready. Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus said. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to us. When you start the journey of following Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to walk with you. You have a divine tutor who will lead you into all truth as you study the inerrant, infallible, completely true word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth from Scripture. And he will teach you as you study the scripture on your own, as you are taught it by gifted teachers with sound doctrine, as you get counsel from godly people, the Lord will use the experiences of your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And here's when it happens. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we put our faith in Christ. There are some people who believe that you're saved here and then later on you get filled, baptized, other terms they use with the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Word of God says. Look at the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts 2.38. Look on the screen. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. When you do that, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Not later on with a new experience somewhere down the road. When you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, your mind, and your life. He comes, and listen, he never leaves. He never leaves. He is always present in you. He is at work in you, and he will fill you and change you as you open yourself to him. To the degree that you surrender to his control, he will revolutionize your life. Now, I want to quickly just talk about a few things he does. I can't cover it all. It would take a whole semester of systematic theology, but let me just show you a few of the things the Holy Spirit does. First of all, the Holy Spirit helps us speak to God. This is so cool. Have you ever had times that you try to pray and it's like, God, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to ask this. I, I don't have words. Guess what? The Holy Spirit helps us speak to God. We know Romans 8, 28. Look at the two verses that precede it. Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Isn't that cool? I mean, we don't even know how to, to put it in the words. It's like, it's okay, I got this. The Father will know exactly what's in your heart better than you understand it. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us speak to God, but also the Holy Spirit helps us speak to others about God. To others about God. You ever think about talking to somebody about Jesus and you just kind of get sh just scared out of your mind that you won't know what to say? Well, listen, it wasn't just witnessing to a friend or a, or a family member that the disciples were facing. They were about to be imprisoned and put on trial, and, and they would, most of them, be martyred for their faith. And so here's what Jesus said to them in Mark 13, 11. But when you are arrested, not if, but when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For, this is so great, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. If you will take the risk and jump out there when God gives a, an obvious open door to share about Jesus to somebody, you're going to say stuff, you're going to be shocked, came out of your mouth. And you're going to look back and say, I don't know where that came from. Yes, you do. It came from the Holy Spirit. He will guide you to those words. If your heart is to honor him and share him, he will guide you what to say. Well, there's a whole bunch more, and I don't have time to cover all of them, but, but this one you've got to know. The Holy Spirit secures our salvation to the end. To the end. Look at Ephesians 4.30. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. I mean, I mean, how can we do that? A whole lot of ways. We all fail. We all stumble. We all blow it. Or am I the only one here? We all do. If we were an employee at a company, we would get fired. 
If we were a, a participant on a sports team, we'd get cut from the team. But that does not happen when we blow it as children of God because we are sons and daughters of the living God. So here's, here's what Paul says. Go on with me in verse 30. Remember, this is so great, remember he has identified you, he has branded you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Guaranteeing. There's some people who teach, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, but if you, if you don't walk the line, there, there's some way you can kind of fall off the rails, and even though you were really saved, it, it wasn't just an emotion. I mean, it was real, but you can lose it. And then you kind of have to go back to the beginning and start all over. I've never understood, how do you know when you've lost it? How do you know when, to, how you, when you got it back? How, how do you know how many times you can fall off the rails and get back on? Hey, listen. You weren't saved by your performance. You were saved by grace. You are not kept by your performance. You are kept by grace, by the Holy Spirit who guarantees you and, and me as unworthy followers that we belong to him. We were adopted and we will never be disinherited. Years ago, my sons and I made kind of a, a pilgrimage to Tokyo, Japan. I was born there. My dad was in, in the Army, and he and my mom were there, and so that's my birthplace. And so uh, my sons and I and my son Robbie sitting right there uh, today, we, we all went to Tokyo. Uh, but it was a hard trip. We ended up sitting on the, the tarmac for hours and hours before they don't do that anymore. I think we were like 10 hours or something before we finally took off. So anyway, we got to Tokyo, middle of the night. We didn't really know where we were going. We didn't speak the language. We somehow got on the subway that got out to the part of that huge city, and we walked up onto the sidewalk, and I'll never forget, uh, four of us are standing there looking around. There's, there's nobody around. We don't speak Japanese. We, I, we needed to get to a certain hotel. Had no idea, and I don't know about you, right? It was terrifying for me. So put yourself in that place. You find yourself, middle of the night, total darkness, you're in a place you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know how to get to where you need to go. And just pretend, this is my story, so pretend, all right? Just pretend somebody shows up who knows how to speak Japanese or wherever you are and, and said, my, your pastor sent me to you. It's my story, so I can give myself credit. Your pastor sent me to you. I speak Japanese. I know where it is you need to go. Uh, if you need extra money, I, I, I got this. Uh, I can take care of you. Follow me. Let's go together. Would that be great? That's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, Christ follower. He says, come on. I even know what's ahead. I know how to get where you need to go. I will walk with you every step of the way. And when you don't know what to do, I can guide you. I can walk with you. If you'll listen to me, we will make this journey together. And your master will be pleased. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit 
is God's presence in you. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful. So grateful that you did not accept us into your family and then just kind of push us out of the nest and say, good luck, I hope it goes okay. But instead, you gave us an advocate. You gave us a helper. You gave us a companion. You gave us a teacher. You gave us one to walk with us. If we will just open ourselves to him and we don't have to plead for him to come, he's always within us. He will not force his way into our will or into our mind or into our attitudes or into our actions, but he will fill us with himself in all of those areas if we will just open ourselves to him. Lord, help us to be open to your Holy Spirit. And if there are those here today who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying there is a God who loves you. There is a Jesus who gave his life for you. Salvation and mercy and forgiveness and grace are yours if you will believe and receive it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Sunday.